the following announcement has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Hey, you wrestling fans out there. Do you know who I am? I'm the Mountie, and you're watching Perched on the Top Rope right now. I'm the Mountie. I'm handsome, I'm brave, I'm strong. I'm the Mountie, and I force along. You can try to run, but you can never hide the Mountie. Welcome everyone to Perched on the Top Rope. I am your host, former Dirt Sheet writer, Lee Walker. And as you heard and saw from that show opener today, ladies and gentlemen, joining me is Jacques Rougeau, as you also know, as the Mountie in WWF. Jacques, how are you doing today? Well, Lee, you know, first of all, I got to say thank you so much for having me on your your rated show around the world. It's amazing for me. I'm, uh, I actually forgot how to be nervous. You know, I used to be nervous like this on pay-per-views and stuff like that. <laughs> and now I got a little bit of ice breaking to do with you, but I'm, thank you so much <laughs> for having me on board. No, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And I want to thank Mayor McCall of Wrestling Talk for helping set this interview up. Make sure you go and you watch his YouTube and make sure you listen to him anywhere and everywhere podcasts are found. It's Wrestling Talk with Mayor McCall. Uh, Jacques, you have uh, Loot Academy for uh, fans in America. Uh, Loot is wrestling in French. Uh, the, the Loot Academy, you've been doing it for a few years now. And this year, uh, it, you seemingly raised the stakes higher and higher for the winners. Uh, this year, you now have four winners with two men and two women. They can go home with $10,000 and an opportunity to go train in Bandito's gym in Mexico City. The success of Lutz Academy has been really no surprise to anyone in the wrestling world. Uh, I have to ask, how did you get it all set up? And what was the reasoning uh, behind Lutz Academy? Well, firstly, I got to say it's the passion that I have for wrestling. I've always had this passion since I was four years old. I'm going to be 64 this year, so 60 years of passion, just living my dream all my life. And uh, I always had a love of wrestling. And uh, and it all started about uh, after COVID. Um, I, I closed my wrestling school and, and I stopped my wrestling shows. I had shows that I was going on for 20 years up in Quebec, just my the Jacques Rougeau family wrestling shows. And... Um, and uh, and I started podcasts like pretty much everybody on the planet during COVID. We were trying to keep busy or staying alive and staying visible. And uh, and I had this guest. I was I, I'm fortunate in, in Quebec to be very well known and very well respected from different people like uh, the sports people, the entertain entertainment people, the singers. The and anyway, so I had this girl singer that came to my podcast and uh, Marie Elensbier. And 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 she participated in a show 20 years ago that was called a, a Star Academy, and it was like what they did is they recruited all the uh, amateur singers from different places in Quebec, and they had like an, an elimination tournament where the big prizes was at the end, and this became the number show in Quebec, number one show in Quebec, and and so the big prizes was that they. Uh, that they went to sing at the uh, the Bell Center, which is now the Bell Center, was at the Forum at the time, uh, uh, to sing with Celine Dion. 
and, 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 you know, so it was like, wow, you know, so she came and explained her experience and my podcast, you know, and, and after we'd finished the podcast, I looked at my girlfriend and I said, there came my passion again. I said, I looked at my girlfriend and I said, wouldn't that be great if we did something like that for wrestling? Like, you know, just have people from all over Canada, just come the best wrestlers in Canada and, and, and come to Montreal. And then we'd find some sponsors to book the flights, get the hotels and then and get some prizes going and, and have an elimination thing. Because in a wrestler's career, it's always been uh, in my career, you go to a venue, you go to a show, you perform, you're nervous to perform, but you know your 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 storyline. You know your match, just about how it's going to go. You talk about it. You go do your job, and then you go home. It's finished. But 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 when you go in a reality show like we're creating now, it's like you go into the ring, you do your show, and then you have to stand up in the middle of the ring, and then you got judges by the ring, and the judges they 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 go ahead and they start undressing you, like you know, boy, <laughs> with the your quality of uh, wrestling ability, your your promo before going into the ring, your 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 looks, uh, your charisma, uh, the interaction with the crowd, and, uh, and 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 so it's like it's a whole new ball game. And, uh, so what happens is now we I start putting matches together. Like I had a guy in New Brunswick, I had a guy in Vancouver. Get them on Zoom, help them put their match together a month before the venue in Montreal when they come here, and and, and put all our ideas together. It's their ideas, it's my idea, and we put a match together. And then they come and they sit in front of the judges, and and what a, a big stress it is because it's a, it's different. There's big prizes, and uh, so it's like like this year you're talking about ten thousand dollars for four winners, like each ten thousand dollars. But three years ago it was five thousand dollars each, plus the last two years the winners were going at the Nightmare Factory where where Billy Gunn, QT Marshall, and Cody Rhodes were training them for three months for free, you know. So so it was like a big deal for them, and and you know in this business, Lee. My father always told me one thing when I was young. There's, there's two ways you can make it in this business. is being at the right place at the right time and knowing the right people. And, and so this contest was bringing talent from all over Canada. People that, uh, talent that wasn't seen or wasn't known, but they were as good as the professional wrestlers. So, so we kind of gave them a platform to bring them into Montreal to be seen by, you know, when you go train uh, with Cody Rhodes and, and, uh, and Billy Gunn, QT Marshall, you know, uh, sometimes uh, you're just hoping that one of those guys will fall in love with you, you know, and then, and then, and open a door for you. And uh, so, so this contest has just become a, so extraordinary I, I can't even explain how how big this is getting in canada how the i'm getting all the promos now all the people have been chosen for this contest this year and and i'm asking them to send promos and you should see if you if you have a chance lee uh, you go on my facebook it's uh, jacques rougeau you see a picture of me and my girlfriend and you'll see i'm putting all the promos down that are coming in and you're not gonna believe how original all this talent is putting in the time they're putting in because this year they get each $10,000, two men and two women. And then, like you said, at the beginning of the show, they go spend a week at Bandito's Gym and Big Lucha. I went to wrestle in Mexico in 1978. I was only in the business like for two years. And when I came back from Mexico, I, uh, the, the people in Montreal were going like, wow, because I was doing all kind of acrobatic things. That the, so, uh, so I went to learn a lot out of Mexico wrestling. So, so this contest is just amazing. And, and we're so happy, uh, my, my girlfriend and me, to, to create a, a trampoline for the Canadian talent to be seen worldwide and to, to have a chance to go meet the great organizations. 
Yeah, and fans, you can go to uh, lootacademy.ca/en. You can see the wrestlers that are participating in the 2024 uh, Loot Academy tournament. Uh, there's also a lot of details. The quarterfinals being Saturday, September 28th, and October 26th, with the semifinals being Saturday, November 2nd, and the finals being November 16th. Uh, something that uh, when I when I visited the website, Jock, uh, was the amount of support as you bring up from uh, actors and actresses uh, in Canada, but the amount of support from those in the professional wrestling industry, all Amazing. sorts of names, uh, you know, Axe and Smash, uh, Coco Beware, The Undertaker. All you know, Bret Hart, uh, Rick Bret Flair, Rick Flair, and Tito Santana. And you go on and on. If you go on the website, wrestling-academy.ca in English, so wrestling academy you could go and you go click on their pictures, and they have a video that they sent to encourage all the Canadian talent, which is absolutely amazing. And the other thing too, Lee, while I'm thinking about it, is when you go a little lower in the website. You'll see all the pictures of the contestants this year. You click on their picture. And then you could see a short video of their talent, of how good they are. So you really get to know the, the people. And you could follow this uh, this competition this fall when it comes this fall and really get into it. And and I'll tell you, it's, it's first-class wrestling. It really is. I've been in the business. I wrestled for 45 years. And I could tell you that the talent that we have in Canada that are not known, it's amazing. You're right. And I, I was going to ask about this later on, but I'm going to ask about it now. We see companies uh, like AEW working with New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, TNA working with uh, AAA, uh, AEW also working with CMLL, uh, you know, MLW, uh, NWA is now actively looking for like new territories for them, for talent to develop and have brought up into their system. Could we ever see a point where any of these companies come to Canada looking for a company, a Canadian wrestling company to work with. Cause we haven't seen that. That would be awesome. Wouldn't it? That's it's kind of part of a, I guess a long, uh, a long look dream of mine, I guess is I, I, the good thing about it is uh, by doing business with the nightmare factory the last few years and, and especially QT Marshall who, uh, 
who took in my my this this deal with me to take care of my winners. Well, when the when last year when they came to Open Canada AEW, they actually featured my winners in the show uh, of uh, Dynamite and Rampage, and uh, so so they had a chance to wrestle in front of fifteen twenty thousand people. What an experience for them! So 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 that would be amazing if I could uh, eventually make a deal with uh, Tony Khan, which I had the chance to meet when he came to Montreal, and it's so funny because he was on the he was on the air sets, you know, doing the show. And I'm trying to. I try. I went to Toronto the year before to meet him, and he. I didn't even get the chance to meet him in Toronto. <laughs> Imagine he was so busy. It was his first day in Canada, and then when he came to Montreal, I had a little more pull there in Montreal. I had a few friends there that brought me backstage and brought me near him when he was doing the voiceovers or or just listening to the show. And he finally, I was so surprised because he, uh, he when he when I came beside him, he was at the table. He took his earphones off, and he said. Uh, how you doing? And he looked like he was so shy and so humble. It was, a, I couldn't believe it. He had his head down. He didn't even look at me in my eyes. And I said, Mr. Khan, and I was so nervous myself. And I said, Mr. Khan, I said, Jacques Rougeau. Oh, he says, I, I know who you are. He says, and as a matter of fact, he says, I like that part when the, the guy with the leather suit there was rubbing against you. And he was referring to my match with Big Boss Man, the jailhouse match. And, and it was so funny because he knew my career tremendously. He's a genius of wrestling. And then he started lifting his eyes up and we had eye contact. And then he told me, he said, and I told him, I said, uh, I said, Mr. Khan, I said, if ever you come back to Montreal, I said, um, I would love to participate in trying to help you like uh, sell out this arena. There's a lot of people here tonight, but I'd like for you to sell out. And I think I could help you. And I said, uh, and what would be really nice also is would be if you had a chance to uh, to salute my brother Raymond and I in front of the crowd in Montreal, which which has never been done since we left 30 years ago, the WWF, WWE. And I said, I think the fans would really appreciate that. And he looked at me and he says, I should have thought of that. You know, so yeah. so I think he left the, the he left it like a possibility. And, and you know, now that QT Marshall is back with AEW because uh, he, he went back, I think he's working with them now. I think that hopefully within talking, talking, that we'll have a chance to to, to do that, just to take a five minutes at the Bell Center in front of 20,000 people and say hi to Raymond and Jacques Rougeau, the fabulous Rougeau brothers and the Rougeau family, and, but also uh, just have Wrestling Academy be be part somehow the, to, to recruit some of the best talent in Canada because that's what we have in the competition. We have 10 provinces and we had like 70 inscriptions when we first started this show and we only kept 34 and that was 70 men apart from the women. So, so it was like we had to cut down and unfortunately we had to cut some very good talent, you know, away from this competition. So I think that we're dealing with the best competition in Canada right now. And, and what a dream would it be for me to be attached again to, to, to a big company like you know and living my passion again yeah absolutely and uh one of those things that always comes up in my mind especially like in wwe right now they're talking about uh wrestling heritage and you know we have the Rhodes family uh the anawahis heavily being talked about uh canada we know has the hart family and the rougeau family uh as the rougeaus uh your father uh jacques senior uh, you actually got to team with your dad. I you know, sure you got, so um, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, 19. Oh God, where was I? It was 19. It uh, 99. It could be 99 or something like that. It was, uh, it was uh, my, actually my father did a last match with his three sons, Raymond Arma and myself. 
and uh, we were the father and the three sons. And that was something that I had asked my dad I wanted to do at least once because Raymond, my brother, is a little older than me. So he had a chance early in his career in the 70s to, to tag team with my dad once in a while. But I never had that opportunity. And and, and 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 you'll see that my dad is my hero as we talk. You know, he's always been my hero. Yes, it was um, it was when WWF worked with uh, International Wrestling of Canada. That was the one I'm thinking of. It could be. It could be. And uh, um, but I, but I know it was like uh, it, it was a show that I'll never forget. You know, my uh, my dad first didn't want to, you know, because he was getting up there in age. But uh, he knew it was a dream of mine to have that. We didn't do much with my dad. We, we kind of left yeah. him in the corner there. And, and and when our opponents were in trouble, we'd have my dad come in. But uh, but, uh, <laughs> but it was it was a great time for me just to share the ring because, you know, I remember when I was like four and five, six years old at the, around the pool in Saint Sulpice where I was brought up about 20 miles northeast uh, of Montreal and by the river, St. Lawrence River. We had our pool there and everything. And my dad and my uncle Johnny were the promoters in Quebec. And uh, and they used to, every Sunday night, they used to have a, the, the main event of Monday night because religiously, Monday night was the, the every Monday night it was wrestling in Montreal. But on Sundays, my father, sometimes he'd have the guys come to our house, like Joe LaDuke, like uh, Abdullah the Butcher, and like those guys. And I was like five, six years old, and I was looking up at them like, wow, with all those scars in their head and everything. And I was afraid of them, but at the same time, they were so kind to me. You know, so so I was brought up around the Tarzan the Boot Tyler, you know, and uh, Alexis Smirnoff was Michel Justice Dubois. And uh, I could go on and on with the talent that came to our house or Bobo Brazil, uh, you know, my Ivan Koloff and go on and on and on. And I met all these talent. And so so anyway, I'll have to say that uh, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it was it's just great souvenirs for me to talk about this. It's amazing. Yeah. No. So actually in the archives with. um the international wrestling in Canada in the WWF that the tag match with your dad, your brother Raymond and Armand is actually considered a WWF match. Was it? You, yeah. Um, I don't know that. On, under cage match, uh, net, they recognize it as a WWF match. It's amazing. You know, uh, the Rougeos are, uh, pioneers in Quebec you know it's uh and it doesn't start with only with my uncle Johnny and my father Jacques it starts with my great uncle Eddie Oje who was the first one who came along and uh and then like I said my uncle Johnny my father and then Raymond my brother Armand myself and then my three sons for 20 years they wrestled for my company which you'd be amazed to see my three sons they were amazing before I closed my company five years ago and so there's four generations of the Rougeau family and uh yeah yeah Rougeau in Quebec there it's uh I don't know how to say that. It's like a Morris Richard in hockey or, or I don't know. It's, it's amazing. It's very well respected, the name Rougeau. You know, my brother Raymond's the mayor now, a mayor in, in his city now. Yes, I saw that. I, I saw you on Facebook wishing him a happy birthday, referring to him as mayor. Yeah, he's a, he's the bright one of both of us. He's, <laughs> but he's a yeah, he's a, and it's funny because it's amazing because last year I asked him uh, to be a judge at Wrestling Academy and he, and he loved it so much that he's coming back this year for all the events. For the four events he's coming back. Him and Gino Brito. I don't know if you know a guy called Gino Brito. Uh, he Gino Brito was an icon in Quebec too with the Italians like Dominic Denucci, Tony Parisi, Dino Bravo, and and Gino Brito. They were the Italians in Quebec in the in the sixties, seventies, and in the early eighties. So Gino was came back, and we just did a radio station this morning in 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 an Italian radio station, and oh, wow. he's eighty three. He's eighty three years old, and he was on the radio station with me, and he was going over stories 
about Jack Britton, his father, who the one who who brought the midgets together, you know, and 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 then the, the time of when he brought the giant and Andre the Giant and Frank Val when he's going over stories. He's 83 years old, Gino Brito, and he's on the mic this morning. And I looked at him, I said, Gino. Jesus, you're making me look bad. <laughs> he's got so much memory. He's, he's so he's gonna have fun. Uh, he's gonna have fun and uh, being a judge this year. And one of the things that was fun too is like uh, he told me, he says, uh, you know, he says I'm so happy to do this because when you get to my age, 83 years old, there's not much in, much left to do in life. But he says now I'm gonna be busy with Lut Academy. So he said that's fun. So you could see the passion in the man's eyes, and he's 83 years old. Oh wow, that's awesome. To, you know, to have that passion just, you know, come back like that. Uh, it's very exciting. Um, I have to ask, uh, you and your brother Raymond were already part of the WWF uh, in 1986. Uh, and WWF had signed your brother Ar Armad, but he was injured. Um, do you know what plan, did WWF have plans to put the three of you guys together or you know, I, I I I couldn't tell you that. I could honestly. I know Arma had a a back injury, a severe back injury. Uh, I think he wanted to probably explore. They they probably would have tried it out for sure. But uh, I gotta tell you the truth because I there's no gray zone with me. My brother Arma, he didn't have the same sparkle, the same passion that Raymond and I had. Uh, Arma was a mechanic who became a wrestler. We so 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 Raymond and I we were wrestlers who became wrestlers. So Arma was like a secondary life for him. It wasn't something that he would when he had time off. He he wouldn't talk wrestling. He wouldn't live wrestling. He was he'd live mechanic. He had his own garage. So so it wasn't the same passion. So and 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 to be and to go in the big leagues like the WWF in those days in the in the eighties and uh, when it was booming like crazy. I'm not sure that Arma would have had the, the charisma and the talent to have succeeded as much as, as Raymond and I. Uh, and, and I think I'm being fair but by saying that, you know, I, uh, for the people who know him. And uh, he's but, but a great person, a great guy. But uh, I don't know if I'm, you understand what I'm trying to say. That it, it, it wasn't his first passion in life, Arma. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. And if it's, if it's not your first passion, I can – I understand uh, the aspects of – you know, wrestling to the Rougeaus is, is like the family business. He had his own path that he wanted. If you uh, I'm in a family eat, business and I completely understand. If you don't leave, if you don't eat, sleep and dream wrestling, you're not going to make it. Yeah. He wasn't doing one of those three or all of them. So exactly. I understand. I understand. Now, uh, 1987, uh, WWF uh, seemingly getting hotter. Uh, they have their first action figure line with the LJNs. Uh, the tag team is booming. The Hart Foundation of Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart are the tag team champions. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this because on August 8th, 1987 in Montreal, the Rougeaus defeat the Hart Foundation for the tag team titles. Amazing. Considered the first Montreal screw job before Brett against Sean. <laughs> now, when looking up the stats and everything, you know, you, you see you win the titles, but then your next match in WWF, there's no mention of it whatsoever. Did WWF, any officials, 
tell you or your brother Raymond any short or long term plans that they had for you as champions? No, not at all. We uh, we uh, we knew what was going to happen. We knew that they were going to announce in the paper three days later that the wrong guy was in the ring or something like that. We didn't look at it as a screw job. We just looked at it like uh, they're going to make the people happy in Montreal. But 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 it backfired because uh, because the, what happened, like you said, you know, we won the belts and it was like for the Canadians, for the Montreal Canadians, it was like winning a Stanley Cup, and mm-hmm. it went in hockey. So so when we won the belts. I'll never forget the time uh, I left the building, got in my car. There was 5,000 people waiting for us outside, and they were banging on my car. And I remember my wife at the time, she was she was, she was was screaming in the car. She was afraid. I said, don't worry, honey. They love us. They love us. But they were breaking my car. They were having like a riot. They were so happy. And then what happened on that Saturday, when the TV comes on, we won them, like, let's say, on a Monday night. And then on Saturday, the heart showed up with the belts. And they never even mentioned the fact that we won the belts. That was a mistake. For me, that was a mistake. So I have to ask because there is somewhat of a similar situation involving the Hart Foundation and the Rockers, where the Rockers won the WWF Tag Team Championships. And it was on like WWF Saturday night main event when they were doing that specialty with NBC every so often. I believe this is 1989. The Rockers win, but they reverse and give the belts back to the Hart Foundation. At this time, did you or did anyone else think like, because this isn't the first time this happened and it just so happens to be both times with the Hart Foundation during this time, did Vince have any favoritism towards Bret Hart at all? You know, I'm still sometimes trying to figure out this in life. You know, um, Raymond and I, I'm going to bring you another path here, but bring you back to where you're at. Uh, just remind me to bring you back. Bring me okay. back to where I want to go. But uh, I love Bret to death. You know, I started for his father in 1977. Stampede Wrestling was my first territory. Brett was driving a bus at the time. He wasn't even wrestling. He was refereeing driving a bus. Brett, I love Brett as a person. I love him to death. But I always thought like Brett was, Brett was, I don't know if he was doing the right thing or not. I, I question myself today because Raymond and I, we were always yes, man. Vince would always ask us anything. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And Brett, he was a hard guy to do business with. He was like, uh, it was like he'd never want to lose. He, he did. And, and he never, I never heard it from his mouth, but just working with him for four years long, you know, I, I, I've noticed and I see that happen that he was, I think that's even why that the Vince dropped the intercontinental title from me to Piper. Because I think Brett didn't want to drop it to Piper. I don't know why it happened. And I only had it for two days. I was the shortest lived intercontinental champion. But, 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 and even Brett, when he dropped the belt to me in, in Springfield, Massachusetts, he had to announce before the show that he had 104 fever and the, and the doctor told him not to wrestle. So, so, so in other words, I, I beat a sick guy. I didn't beat anybody. Uh, so, so uh, Brett was a hard business. Uh, I think Brett was, he was not a yes man. 
he stood up to Vince, I think, and he he implied he he, he imposed a lot of things. And, and we thought, I thought on my career that that's not the way to do it. You know, if you're a yes man, but now that I look back, I'm starting to say, I think Brett had the right idea. We should have stood up to Vince a couple of times. Like, you know, for many years, Raymond and I, we were waiting in line to get those titles. You know, the first, we, we worked four years against the Heart Foundation. For two years, we were baby faces and the hearts were heels. And then finally, uh, they gave us Jimmy Hart two years later and we turned heel and they turned baby face. And we worked another two years with them. Uh, but we were always telling Pat Patterson, who was Vince's right-hand man, he was a French-Canadian, and he was a friend of ours. Pat always helped us a lot, and, and he liked us a lot because we were good workers, and we were professional, and we're always on time, and, he, and we had a great relationship, and, and he was always kind of making us feel like, guys, it's coming. Guys, the belts are coming. You're going to get your run. You're going to get your run. And then out of nowhere, one day in 1989, uh, Arn Anderson, and Tully Blanchard came in and, and they just, out of nowhere, they just came in and Bob Enon brought him in and they just passed in front of us when we were just thinking that we were going to get finally our run after working so hard for four years. And that was the day where Raymond turned the key off and he said to me, he says, that's it, you know, well, we're not going to get our chance and that's, and that's when he retired from wrestling. And, uh, and uh, so all this to say that uh, I'm still questioning myself today if I had to suggest that to a younger person today that was had a chance in the WWF, should they be a yes man and listen all the time? Or should they stand up and, and, and give them a hard time or stand their ground? It's a questionable uh, answer that, that, that I don't have the answer still today. Okay. Um, do you want to circle back to the what? What we had just to remind, as you said, to remind you with Brett yeah, on the, in the fa the the favorite. Do you think Vince had any favoritism towards Brett at all because of standing up for himself? I think I, I almost think that it was a relationship like a, like a, uh, I, I'm a guy here that uh, I'm a guy that 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 that, uh, that wants a girlfriend and, and 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 asks her to go out for ten times and she says no, then it makes me want her more. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that, that's a really good way to look at it so during this yeah i totally understand you know like um during this time also you know wwf tag teams are flourishing uh like i said the, the their first action figures come out you also had the british bulldogs and there's a right way to rib people, which we know Owen Hart knew how to do. And then there's a wrong way to rib people, which, as we hear in stories, uh, Dynamite Kid was a ribber, but it came off from a bullying aspect. Now, doing some research, I found uh, Bruce Pritchard talking about you standing up to the bully of Dynamite Kid. And... These are his words. I'm just going to read them off. I remember walking by the catering, area, the catering area. The amount of blood was scary, Pritchard continued. It was like a faucet. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those where somebody gets hit in the face and the blood just starts pouring out. That's what it was like. There was also teeth on the ground. Eventually, Pat Patterson stopped the fight. And once everything was broken up, the WWE roster was summoned to an emergency meeting presided by Patterson, Vince McMahon, and Hulk Hogan. 
uh, when Pritchard was asked why Hulk Hogan was proceeding over the meeting, he said, because he was the top guy. He was making sure nothing more was going to happen. He adds, Dynamite wasn't a nice guy. He ribbed people unmercifully in a mean way that a lot of folks felt like he was a bully. I'm not saying Jacques was the most liked guy in the dressing room, but at the same time, people respected Jacques for standing up to the bully. Now that after the mass of the incident, you guys still had to work together on Opposing Sides 1988 for Survivor Series. Granted, you didn't like each other. You still worked with each other in the ring. What kind of ribs was Dynamite, Dynamite Kid pulling to be viewed as by the locker room as mean and being a bully? Well, you know, I'll tell you a couple of stories that'll kind of put it in perspective. And it's funny because before I start this, I want to say that Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid were my idols when we came to WWF. They were just absolutely amazing wrestlers. They, they, they were. Raymond and I would look at each other like, "Wow, that's the that's the team. That's the team. They're so innovative and they're so." And, uh, and and we had a match actually at, at Madison Square Gardens with them, a 20-minute Broadway match with them, and, and, and Vince just went nuts. And that's where I think I picked up a lot of heat with them because they were champions and we were just the Rougeau brothers from Quebec. And Vince had us do a Broadway, I think, pick up some heat there. Uh, Dynamite was a mean person. And, and, and Davey Boy, he did some, some ribs too that were, you know, God bless, rest his soul, Virgil just left us. And, and and a great friend of mine, great great friend of mine. But I, when that happened, the first thing that came to mind is was I was in uh, in London, and, and 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 he stole my shock stick, and 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 he cornered Virgil in a corner, and he was like threatening to to zap him. And my stick was a really, excuse my language, but a badass zapper. It was like a strong, powerful one. It could really hurt you, and 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 he was scaring Virgil, and he was. And he was screaming and that. And when I heard him scream and then I look in my bag, my, my gun was gone, my, my stick. And then I went to, to go. I pulled. I told him, give me my gun. And, you know, I, I confronted him there just on a short notice. I gave, give me my stick. This is my gimmick you're using to scare this guy. And so they gave it. Oh, it's just oh, just for fun, just for fun. But Virgil, he, he, I, I, he I'm not going to say how bad he he wet himself. <laughs> you know, it was it was bad. He was afraid. And it was like, a, and he played ribs like that. Another one, Outback Jack. I don't know if you remember a guy called Outback Jack came from Australia. They, 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 they he had no friends. He, he was in the dressing room, and the, and 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 the, and the Bulldogs invited him to go to the nightclub with him. You know, so so of course Outback. You know, wow, the world champions are asking me to bow. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in now. I'm in. So they brought him to the bar, and when they got at the bar, they. They on his drinks, you know, with some pills, and they put him asleep, and the and he passed out, and then they shaved his hair complete. That was his gimmick. That was his. He had the the, the blonde hair, like you know, the crocodile Dundee kind of gimmick, and the, and he showed up the next at seven o'clock in the morning in the airport. They were dragging him. He was almost drilled, drooling on himself, and 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 Vince was there, and everybody was there, and then he lost his job. You know, so so the guy he dreamed all his life to go to WWF and 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 he lost his job, he lost his hair, he lost his pride, he lost everything, and 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 I and I could go on with stories like that. So 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 um, so I knew I knew that when he uh, he started, I was his target, that 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 uh, things weren't going to go well, and and just to go over it really fast, uh, 
I had heat with him, and uh, so he, my father came to Miami to see me wrestle with Raymond because my father's a snowbird. So we landed in Miami. Some brought my my father brought us to the Miami convention, and and early in the evening, uh, uh, Mr. Perfect he uh, he was part of that too. Mr. Perfect wasn't a really cool guy either. I gotta tell you, he was he was a bad river. He was part of that too, and they don't understand how mean and how it could affect people. And uh, so Perfect. Uh, we played cards all the time in the dressing room. So, so what he did is he set me up, uh, and 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 when we got in the dressing room, he he put the he he put himself against the wall at the other end of the dressing room, and he put me back to the dressing room door and everything. And uh, and out of nowhere, uh, the bulldog, the hearts, uh, I think Morocco Orton, there was a bunch of them anyway. They came as a click, and I was playing cards. I had my cards in my hands like this, and 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 dynamite just came from behind him. Oh, he slapped me on the side of my hair. And I fell off the chair and I turned around and I had my cars, they flew and I just turned around like, what the hell? And you got to understand, Lee, I'm not a fighter. I'm an entertainer. My brother Raymond's a tough guy. My dad's a tough guy. Me, I'm an artiste, you know, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, a street fighter or nothing like that. So, so I'm, I don't like altercations like that. You know, I never did. So when I fell off the chair and, I, and then I just got up onto my feet, what, what? And then, and then he started punching me in the face. And then he says, you want a stooge? You want to tell Vince on me? You want to tell Vince? And then he kept beating me up, kicking me in the face. And, and my brother Raymond was on crutches, so he couldn't do nothing. So finally my brother got up in crutches and he faced me and said, hey, that's enough. And then he turned around and he punched my brother Raymond in the face. And my brother Raymond's a tough guy, man. He took the shot, backed up at two steps with his crutches, and he looked at him right in the face, says, you're going to hit a guy that's on crutches? And then he looked at him and Dynamite was mean. He looked at my brother, he says, nope, I'm going to wait till you heal and then I'm going to beat you up. You know, and then and so that was it. So then that's when that during that week I don't ask me where I found the uh, the bravery you could call it or or I just decided I'm going to make a comeback I'm not going to let them I'm not going to let them insult the Rougeau name like that and I was thinking of my father my hero that was there in the building that that saw me all swollen up when I got back the week uh, the week before and got in the car never spoke to him and that was horrible that week it was the worst it was the worst week of my life. And then, then, then finally, when I did make the comeback, I, we were in the building in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So he sucker slapped me from the back. So I just prepared the same thing. And the night before, which has been a week since that happened, that he beat me up, I remember calling my dad and telling my dad, you know, I hadn't spoke to my dad in a week. Imagine my dad came to see me wrestle. I haven't spoke to him in a week. I'm also up. Not even when I went to sleep at his home before I left the next day. I was like in a trauma. I was like lost in life. And I was like, but I kept going on forward. I kept telling myself, just keep going. It's going to get better. Keep going, keep going. And on the third, fourth day, I said, I'm going to make this comeback. So on the Sunday, the next Sunday, a week later, I called my dad the night before uh, at Fort Wayne. And, I, and, I, and for the first time, I talked to my dad. And me having kids today, and I, I can't imagine how my dad must have felt. But, but anyway, so in this silence for a week. And then finally, I called him up. And I said, uh, Dad, he says, Jacques. I said, yes, I just want to let you know I'm doing my comeback tomorrow. You know, and, and, and I wanted him to be proud of me. I just wanted him to just be proud of me. And uh, and uh, so, uh, so the, you know, my father answered me. It freaked me out. My father told me, he says, the only thing he told me, he says, before you go to the show tomorrow, go to the bank. And I was wondering, what the hell is he saying? Like, you know, go. And then he said, you make sure that you go get a roll of quarters. And he says, when you hit him, he says, you hit him to kill him. 
That's what my dad told me to do. And I was shaking in my pants. I'm not a fighter. It's so hard. It's so dark for me to do that. It's like, I can't do that. I, don't, <laughs> I can't do that. And, and, and don't ask me how I did it. And the next day, I waited till the time was right. They went to the cafeteria. They went to eat and that. And when he came out of the cafeteria, Vince had had a meeting that morning telling everybody that, hey, the next people that fight here, this is enough of this, and I don't want this no more in the territory and this and that. So everybody got loose. Everybody started relaxing, like, hey, there's not going to be any more comeback in that. And then, then I waited till noon, and then and then when they came out of the – it was the first time in a week that they weren't all together like a bunch of wolves. And then I saw the, the I saw the hearts come out. I saw Morocco Wharton come out, and then I saw Davy Boy come out by himself. Dynamite was the last one standing when he came out and I was, we were in the hallway, me and Raymond face to face and in, in the back alleys, like, you know, around the buildings where the dressing rooms are, there's like a little passage there. So mm-hmm. Raymond was on one side, I was on the other side and I had the roll of quarters in my hand. And, and when he came out of the, the cafeteria, I, I, I just waited till he got close. And just before he hit me, just before he got about three feet from me for the first time in a week, I looked up at him in his face and I said, how are you doing? And he looked at me with a big grin and a smile. And I just, Bang, I knocked it. Four teeth came out, two in the front, two in the back. And he was like, it was like a horror movie when you're young and the blood is, and it kept going. And I stopped hit. I just looked at him and he fell on a knee and then he grabbed me by the tights. I thought I was going to kill him. I thought it was the end of it, but no, he was such on, he was on so much steroids and so much drugs and no matter what, I don't know what kept him alive. And then he started pulling me in and my brother Raymond was on the other side. And, he, and I just kept looking at him. He was getting up slowly. And my brother Raymond was saying, hit him, God, hit him. Like, stop looking, you know, and hit. And so I started jabbing, jabbing. And then finally, Bad News Brown came, got me by the throat. It wasn't anybody else. It was Bad News Brown who got me by the throat, was very friends with him. And he pushed me back. And I just let him push me back because I did what I had to do. And then finally, I turned around and left. And then, but it was, uh, it was such a, a moment in my life that affected me, that changed my life, because so many things happened because I stood up for myself. Uh, Not talking about the respect from the boys. I'm talking about for 25 years after that, I gave conferences in schools for kids against bullying to help them to face the bullying and without using violence, how to beat bullying without using violence. I did that for 25 years in every school in Quebec. I did them all and it changed my life. And then after that, I became intercontinental champion. I became three times tag team champions. I beat Hulk Hogan in Montreal. I, 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 you know, there's so many things that changed my life because I stood up instead of that night when he beat me up in Miami the first time, instead of putting my tail between my legs and going back to Quebec and finish the Rougeau name, I, I did something that was like almost like McFly did in Back to the Future, you know, when he was bullied. And it was so, 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 so it's, it's, it's a moment that I'll never, never forget. But I'll also remember that it was the hardest time of my life because I'm not a fighter. And, you know, to have to, to confront that, and especially a guy that's so dangerous and a guy that was known to be so tough. I don't know where, where, where I got the energy, to be honest with you. I don't know how it happened, but uh, what a sad time in my life, though. What a sad time. Um, you know, after that, you guys still had to wrestle each other. Uh, Survivor Series in 88. So, so uh, bad. If you go back and watch, I, I've I've listened to people actually speak about the match. Some say that you guys took liberties on each other in the match, and then others say no. Could you Can you confirm you guys 
worked professionally. The only, the only thing I could say was that night in Survivor Series, I was so happy because it was the last night that they were going to be because they gave their notice after the two weeks after I, I gave my my comeback. They they gave their notice. They're going to quit the business, and 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 but I knew it was the last night. But the first two weeks before that. You know, we had to go around me and Raymond, like Tucson and everywhere, Phoenix, and we were in the same dressing room working with them. And you could imagine the intensity, like the we'd get out of the car in the parking lot, me and Raymond, like in movies, back to back, or being afraid to be hit by a pole or a steel thing, or or we were afraid. I was so afraid for the next two weeks. And, and then when I got to the Survivor Series, Vince got us on the side and he asked, he said, guys, he said, I want to ask you a personal favor. He said, I'd like to do you, you do that for me. He says, once the match is over, please don't take a shower. Just take your stuff and leave the building. So it kind of lets them save face a little bit. So so that was a favor that Vince asked. And I said, I said you got it, boy. I'm out of there. I, no problem with me. And they don't, yeah, I'm right? out of there. I had enough of this there. And, and, and But what happened, what was amazing was, you know, when a mouse is cornered in a corner, a rat, he's, he's going to defend himself. And, and when Vince, I, I have this kind of pride that's hidden in me that's that's amazing. I, I don't know where it comes from. But when we got the Survivor Series, they called all the teams together. There was like, I think, 10 teams in that match. And they were all, they called us in the room all together, the all 10 teams. So we're starting to go over the finish, Vince. And he says, uh, I'd like uh, I'd like to start the match with uh, Jacques and, uh, and Davey Boy, you know. And, and, and right then I felt the tension coming to me like, oh, my God, it was choking me. I was, I was really afraid. And uh, but I never showed it. And uh, so I said, no problem. Like, no problem. And inside of me, I was melting. And then I said, uh, he says, well, well, what kind of spot can we do? So so right then, Dynam Davy Boy jumped on the spot. He says, well, he says, uh, grab a headlock on me. And he says, I'll shoot you off. He says, I'll drop down. And when you come off the rope, I'm going to catch you with a press at the end of my arms. Like you know, press, and, and and then Raymond, if you want to come in, I'll I'll shoot you on him. But he says when you come off the ropes and I press you, he says I'm gonna bounce off the ropes with you, and then when Raymond you come in, I'll throw him back. And I right then I knew that he was gonna drop me on my head, you know I knew that he was gonna pick me up and he was gonna act like it was an accident and just drop me on my neck on the cement floor, and 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 before he had time to finish a sentence. Like he says, I'm going to pick you up and, and I'm going to hit the ropes and I'm going to throw you on. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And inside of me, I was dying. I was dying, but I never showed it. And then and, and everybody was looking at me like, you're crazy, man, to do that. Like, you're crazy. But no one said nothing. It was all things that were left unsaid. And, 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 and so we went into the ring and it was very smooth. Everything was smooth. Threw me onto Raymond. They got the pin real fast. One, two, three. We were the first eliminated out of there. Got back to the dressing room. It didn't take me two seconds to grab my stuff and road runner my ass out of there. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you, it's like, uh, and then it was like, uh, I, I was relieved. I was happy that I, that I accepted that spot. I was, I was very proud out of my, me being like, not a coward, but afraid, you know, but, but, but going through with it, you know, yeah, yeah, totally understandable. And soon after, like you said, 1989, your uh, your brother Raymond retires. You transition from using your real name and you become the Mountie a few years <laughs> later. Um, one of my favorite matches as a kid was obviously Survivor Series 91 the big boss man versus the Mountie, the loser goes to jail match. 
um, <laughs> done in Madison Square Garden. I remember it perfectly. How did all of that for that match happen? And, and you know, did Vince use real policemen from NYPD? You you know you when they they booked you and everything. Um, it was so so believable and really well done because, like I said, I'm a kid and I go back as an adult to this day and still watch that match. First, you- I gotta tell you, Lee. I I gotta tell you the the most important thing out of all. Rest in peace, uh, Ray Trailer. One of the nicest guy on the planet, like Virgil, like some of those guys that you owe in heart. Some of those guys that are in the dressing room and you just love. And he was such an easy guy to work with. He was a big guy, but always taking care of you. I loved Ray so much, and, and what great chemistry we had together. And, and, and always being careful when he maneuvered me, manhandled me strongly, but never hurt me. And uh, and me and him, we just we hit it off. And and the uh, and the jailhouse match was amazing. And one thing that I do remember uh, the 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 most that I remember of that is a uh, is the morning of the show because uh, you always have hope in this business. Like you know you you don't want your run to come to an end. You don't want your 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 so so you're having this thing for a year building between me and him. And you know it's a big climax. And you're always hoping that. Vince is going to go ahead and keep you alive or do something, you know, that's going to keep you in the limelight and stuff. So, so I didn't know, we didn't know until the same day who was going to go over in that match. I had an idea big boss man was going to over, but maybe a finish that was controversial or something or to keep the storyline going. And, and, and I got that call in the morning and they said to me the morning of the show and they said, Jacques, it was like eight o'clock in the morning at the hotel. And they said, Jacques, you need to go to the New York precinct. We're going to do some, some taping. And, and right then I said, "Oh boy, it doesn't look good for me tonight." <laughs> so, so, so we did all of those vignettes, you know, the handprints and all those things that we did, and the and they're throwing me into jail. So we filmed it in the morning. So, so, so that night they they put us on early. So you had me and Gene and Jesse the Body Ventura. After the I got put into the jail, that Jesse saying, "Well, me and Gene, let's go back to the precinct see how the Mountie's doing." And then between every segment and every so 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 uh, but but it it was amazing. It was amazing working with the with Big Boss Man and uh, and what a great great idea that Vince had to have me come back as a Mountie. I thought that was the greatest thing. And then when he asked me to come back, he said. Uh, Jacques, is there anything specific that you'd like? I said, yes. As a matter of fact, there's two conditions I'm going to come back. That was a year after Raymond quit. And I said, there's two conditions. And the first one, I want to have Jimmy Hart as my manager. And I said, the the second one is I'm going to bring an electric shock stick that I have. And I said, I'm going to bring that. And I said, I want to use that for, for my finish. And he says, he asked me, inquired about it. I said, well, long, long time ago when I was very young, Eddie the Brain Creature had an electric shock stick and he was in the dressing room for my uncle, my dad, and and he cornered me like Virgil was by the Bulldogs. And I said, I got so scared of that. I believed in it so much. I said, the fans today are going to believe in it. And and so I said, I want to bring that gimmick to New York. You know, to, to he said, you got it. So, 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 so from then on, it was like uh, we had, what an adventure we had. And uh, another thing I'd like to mention too, real fast is, the guys, some guys that I really enjoyed working with in my career, especially as the Mountie, like Tito Santana. You know, Tito, I love Tito to death. I see him Comic Cons today still, and 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 you know what, what what great times we had. Coco Beware, you know, and, and guys that were so easy to work with, you know. And uh, I just wanted to shout out to them because, uh, yeah, awesome, awesome, yeah. 
you know, Tito uh, had a book come out with uh, Kenny Casanova. Uh, has that any been ever been anything you had thought about having uh, doing an autobiography? That could be something very interesting, but I, I'd be afraid to put everything I've done in life in there, and people wouldn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you bring up, um, you know, working with Tito and Coco, and 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 working with such easy guys. The rockers, you know, hey, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. My God. My God, we did some marathon matches. We did some one-hour matches where the most falls. We did that. And one day, we were doing those, like, you know, for about a week. And then one day, we had one in London at noon. And we had one in Philadelphia at night. We did two one-hour matches in one day. And you could only do that with the Rockers. And then, when, and then we they brought it to the Madison Square Gardens where we did that match. And we played a joke on Vince because it was the one who won the most matches within an hour. So we made it that at the end of the hour, it was like three to three, <laughs> you know? So, so then we played a joke on Vince and then I took the microphone and said, if you think you're going to get away that easy, I want overtime. And we went 11 <laughs> minutes overtime and then the rockers beat us, you know? Oh, so wow. we went like 76 minutes, but it was so easy with those guys. So easy with those guys. Wow. And uh, yesterday we just lost Virgil. Any, you know, what was it like to work with him? Any, you know, great memories backstage? God, what a great like guy. Like no, work with him. Work with him. I work with him in London. I work with him in San Francisco, Cal Palace. I, I work with him a couple of times and and I loved him so much because he was always such a nice person. And and I and I remember it was, uh, I remember in London, you know, it wasn't funny because uh, in London, my character was over so much in Europe, also the Mountie, because of the, uh, they have the guards over there in front of the palace there, you know, the Buckingham Palace, they have the guards. And uh, and there was a little comparison done with the Mounties and the the, the Buckingham uh, soldiers. And uh, so my character was really over there. And, and I remember, you know, something that politically you couldn't do anymore today, but it was not 
for being mean. It was just for the character. But I remember beating up Virgil on the floor and then and getting a rag and just throwing a rag on my boots and and tell Virgil like shine my boots, you know. And and and, and Virgil was on the floor and I take his hand and I have him shine my boots. And boy, you talk about a heat getter, you know. You don't get a heat, but 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 Virgil would do anything. He was so nice, just so nice. And and I was so saddened by it yesterday, and. and uh, And also, we lost Ole Anderson also the, this week. And Ole, you know, I got I got to tell you something about Ole Anderson. You know, Ole Anderson, he he made a big breakthrough in my career. When I was in in in, in 1980, uh, I went. My brother Raymond was in Atlanta with Pierre Matt Doug Lefebvre, another French guy here in Montreal, my half brother actually. And they were going in the, during the winter to Atlanta, Georgia. And they'd worked there, and it was the, the times where Wahoo McDaniels and and Ronnie West, the referee, was there, and, and Tommy Rich and all those guys, and it was a good time, a good era. And so I, they had me come in as Jerry Roberts. I changed my name because I was a jobber. I was just coming in as jobber to do a couple of jobs. And I got there as a Jerry Roberts, and Ole Anderson just fell in love with me. And he kept me there for a year and a half. And then I worked with guys like Flair. I worked with him. I just posted on my Facebook this week a match with Ole Anderson when I was like, I'm a young pup you know and he made me look good during the match and Ole just found a liking in me and 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 the best thing about that was like in all those days to a small territory Florida had the territory Kansas City had the territory of Tennessee had the territory and but but when you were in Atlanta you were on TBS so you were seen from coast to coast. You were seen from San Francisco to Boston. And every little territory would see Jerry Roberts for a year and a half doing jobs, but always shining during the match. And I was doing so many jobs. I did so many jobs that eventually they changed my name from Jerry Roberts to Jerry Jobber. But but it was like, a, but 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 what great exposure I had. And Oli gave me that spot. And, and, and you know, so for me, Oli, he just... When I left Atlanta, I got calls from all the territories. That's when I went for the Fullers and then Robert Fuller and Ron Fuller. And, and I went to the Grahams. I went to, to Pat O'Geigel and Bob Brown. And uh, I went to Kansas City. I went all over the country because they saw me on TBS. And that was all because of Oli. So so when Oli died this week, you know, I had this nostalgia about, you know, saying, God, man, that man was good for me. Yeah, it's uh, very sad that uh, they had both passed away. We send our thoughts and condolences to their friends and families. Uh, Jacques, when as the Mountie, after feuding with the big boss man, uh, later big boss man would feud with Nails, uh, seemingly having you separated from the big boss man, aside from like a Survivor Series match, was there any talk of reliving the feud or even possibly working with nails against the big boss man. It's funny that you say that. I, I think that the Mountie character was over tremendously. And I think that, the, but the hard, the hard situation of life was that the, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in Canada 
they send an injunction to WWF and they banned me from TV in Canada because I was giving a bad image to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and, and the TV tapings that were done in the United States that were thrown all over in the world, seen everywhere around. They were only doing those tapings there. So the fact that I couldn't wrestle in Canada, I was having less and less work and it caused a big, big problem for, for, for them. So they actually... I always said to the the real Mounties, I said, you should get off your high horse because, you know, this is only a character. You know, this is like a, like you watch movies sometimes when policemen are dirty or it's movies, it's entertainment. And But the Royal Canadian Mounted Police took it personally. And I was doing such a great job to be hated that they I, they, they said I was giving such a bad image to them. And then, then so they banned me from TV. And, and, and I think that's what caused the downfall of my character. Oh, wow. Um you ended up coming back, though, at, you know, with uh, Pierre Carlulet with uh, the Quebecers, not Mounties. And it's said that in your theme, because uh, <laughs> you guys like rehashed your uh, your old Mountie theme music. At any point, was there a rib in your music towards the Royal Mountie police sure. because of the incident with the with being the Mountie? For sure, Vince wanted to get a comeback in there, and uh, so so yeah, definitely he did that. We're not the Mounties, and uh, yeah, but uh, but uh, but yeah, but I gotta tell you, uh, I I really enjoyed working with uh, with Pierre and uh, and three times tag team champion of the world. You know that's not just nothing. You know, so it's a uh, it was a great run. It was a great time, and uh, but it wasn't my favorite characters. My favorite characters were the fabulous Rougeau brothers with my brother Raymond with the little American flags and, and the Mountie. Those were my two characters that I really enjoyed the most, to be honest with you. Well, I remember uh, Royal Rumble 1994, the Quebecers taking on the Hearts, Brett and Owen Hart. This is Owen Hart's last match as a face. After this, he's a heel from here on out in WWF uh, until the end of his career uh, that we see. To me, that's a, a a big moment in wrestling, getting to be part of someone's uh, heel turn. Uh, you guys end up winning your match, take the titles and run. Owen beats up his brother. What was it like to work with Owen Hart and... Do you have any rib stories that Owen might have pulled on, you know, yourself or your brother or a, a rib that you watched him pull? You know, I got to tell you, this is the funniest thing because uh, Owen was, like you said, a funny ribber. He was a guy who did ribs that, uh, but he never ribbed me. He never did, not once. And and and, and so 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 so. And, and such an easy guy to work with. And they're, oh, you know, like always a smiling kind of guy. Never had a bad face. Never, you know, I, I just had fun being around that guy and and, uh, and and enjoyed tremendously working. The same thing with Brett. You know, it's always been a great pleasure just working with those guys because they were, they were brought up in a wrestling family, like you said. And they, they and, and the most important thing in, in, in those guys is they had uh, they had basic wrestling. You know, it's not just become a, an electrician becoming a wrestler. You know, it's a it's guys that knew the basic fundamental of wrestling, and then so they could go out there and, and they were so smooth. You know, and they, they it, it was no, I I I only have good things to say, but it's funny because people refer to Owen as a ribber, and I don't relate to it because he never ribbed me. 
and you know and and of course if he's ribbing somebody in the dressing room he's not going to tell anybody so so you so 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 you can't be a he was a good ribber probably because we never caught him no one ever caught him so he kept playing brett was the funniest guy i gotta tell you though because brett he used to draw pictures on the board. Like, you know, there was a chalkboard in the dressing room, like in hockey, when they put plan on a few uh, strategies there. Well, there was mm -hmm. always a chuck. And every time we, Brett would come in early, and it was so funny, the the designs and the pictures that he made. He did, he must have pictured me a thousand times, you know, in positions where I looked. It was like, it was so funny. But at the same time, he was like giving me the shot there, you know, or something like, you know, <laughs> putting me in yeah. an awkward position or an awkward situation, but it was so funny, you know, because it was Karikatsuyur, you know, it was like, uh, I don't know how to say it in English, uh, it's Karikatsuyur, it's like uh, pictures of, uh, but exaggerated pictures, you know, yeah, like, like cartoonish. Yeah, 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 cartoonish, yeah. like, you know, and, uh, but Brett was so funny with that, but Owen was more very subtil, he was very, uh, you you wouldn't know when if he was ribbing. I never caught him, and I never noticed he was. He was he was a he was a good hypocrite about that. There, you know, like you know, but <laughs> but 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 such a nice person, such a nice Owen. Yeah, I know. I know that there was uh good ribbers and bad ribbers. Uh, I know Skinner was a funny ribber. Mister Perfect could be a funny ribber, and I I always ask about Owen Hart and his ribs. Owen was, you know, one of my favorites. You know, as a kid growing up, so it's always somebody I ask about. <laughs> Um, what are your thoughts on the Owen Hart uh, tournament that's put on by AEW along with uh, the Hart uh, Foundation that they have in Owen's name that Martha does? I think that's absolutely awesome. I think that anytime you could commemorate, uh, uh, how do you say that? The commemorate. Uh, anyway, honor. Come on, come on, Is that something? Anyway, uh, something yeah. that you could. Uh, I think it's amazing that you 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 have that name over Owen Hart live, because you know, uh, Lord knows he deserves it, and uh, and what a great family. I think it's a great thing. Um, I I think that no one in this business should ever forget the name of Owen Hart. No one. I, I agree with you. Um happened to be my favorite one of my favorite wrestlers growing up so i i always ask about owen um you know uh, speaking of 1994 uh and you know having you know talk about going all over the world you're wrestling men in a mission in london england you're not supposed to lose the match and you end up losing the titles because uh of an injury that mabel causes to uh pierre stunned him where he didn't kick out uh did was Vince McMahon upset about this at all? You know, because it, it did cause a change in the titles that wasn't supposed to happen. You know, I'm wondering, you know, because who you know, I'm an honest person, so I'm gonna tell you exactly. You may not like my answer, but I I don't remember that. I I I just people there's a few people that came up to me and asked me that question. I don't remember him injuring Carl. I don't remember because I knew we were coming back uh, to win the titles again against them. Uh, I don't remember that. It's, it, it's so funny. I'm too many heads in the turnbuckles. Boss man put yeah. my head in the turnbuckle too many times. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I don't remember that incident. And a lot of people tell me about it. So, so I always look stupid when people tell me about it because I'm, I'm in that situation. But, yeah. but I just I don't remember Carl being hurt by, 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 by Mabel. Uh, do you remember how it happened? Uh, no, it was a house show over in uh, Europe. So like, and I know asking about a certain match 
20, you know, 30 years ago is, you know, I, I know that especially when you've had thousands of matches, uh, it's just something that's always, always like gets brought up in discussion. Anytime. Like I talk about the tag team division, um, I'll tell you, Lee, one thing, though, that I remember that I'll never, never forget is is at WrestleMania 10 when we double suplexed Mabel. You know, that was the first time <laughs> that was the first time he got off his feet for a double suplex. And, and, and I remember we tried to double suplex him once and we hurt our back like can't do it. And then Carl just pushed me like, come on, we can do it. We can do it. And then we just kicked Mabel again. And then we gave him the double suplex. And then and, and, uh, that I'll never forget because, you know, me and Mabel, we have a long history because when we were traveling overseas and stuff, and a lot of people don't know that, but uh, there's always a couple of people that men together. And uh, every time we get on a bus, or would be in the dressing room. Me and Mabel would play cards. We always played cards, me and him, like me and Andre the Giant. Me and Andre the Giant, we always played cribbage. I was a partner of him as cribbage all the time, you know. And uh, and and there's certain people that you mend with. And and, and Mabel it was and every time we were overseas in the bus, you know, it's funny. First one that was in the bus go sit in the back. We'd have the table there and come on, Mabel, come on, Mabel, bring your money. Bring your money, Mabel, <laughs> and, then, and then we'd uh, we'd have a lot of good time, and uh, and, and same in cribbage. I don't know if you know the game cribbage. There is the cribs. I, oh, like, I know the game. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Me, me and Andre, you know, we used to play Arnold Scolden, and then me and Andre, and uh, so Andre. Well, the funny thing about that was amazing that uh, that every time we'd had overseas flights or something like that, Andre was always in first class, and 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 us jabronis were always in the economy in the back. And, uh, <laughs> but as soon as we'd fly up. The flight attendant would come and uh, Jacques Rougeau, Jacques Rougeau, and say, yeah, yes, and come up front because they couldn't rent the seat beside Andre. He was too big. You know, you take, so I'd always sit first class when I was traveling, when Andre was on the same card as me, and then we'd play crib. You know, it was, uh, yeah, I, I love crib. I always play crib, even till today now with my girlfriend. We play crib every night. Every night, I'm just um, I became a master of cribbage. Uh, you know, give me the cards though, but uh, because my father always said, hey, keep the luck and give me the cards. But uh, <laughs> but, but there's a lot of technique in cribbage, and, and and I enjoy the game tremendously. Well, there's there's I'm gonna go off topic here uh, from wrestling for a few minutes. Um, we've talked off camera, text messaging, and things like that. Uh, one thing that we have in common is someone that we love has dealing with or have dealt with cancer and i know that you have brought up that your girlfriend is currently going through cancer and i just want to uh first wish her the best of luck through it i've thank I've, you um, my mom has had cancer twice it's like i've i've got this ribbon here on my arm amazing, for ovarian amazing. And breast and then both my, both my rib cages are covered uh for my mom wow and amazing like I grow my hair out now, donate it. Uh, when she would be bald, I was bald. That was that was a rule I made. If you're bald, I'm bald. That's what uh, I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would I would like to wish her the the best of luck. Uh, in that cancer is never an easy thing to go through. My girlfriend's beside me, and she says thank you, and 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 I thank you too because. But you know what? The greatest thing about this thing, the greatest thing is. Uh, We've been at it now for five months doing chemo and stuff like that. I'm saying we, it's her, but it's like, but 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 we're we're a team in this. And uh, and 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 but the best part is, is like six months ago they they located like big at the end of my thumb here a lump like that in her breast, and then the month after it was like a golf ball, 
And then a month after that, it was like a baseball. It's like one of those things that were growing, like a, it was aggressive so much. And now since she started her chemo, uh, it's amazing the results. It's all gone. Uh, the baseball is all gone. And now they're even thinking of maybe not even taking her breasts off because she's responding so well. The problem is with the chemo is the side effects. Like and that's the hardest part. So she bleeds through her nose. She she's tired all the time. She loses her hair. She loses her dignity. She she's tired all the time. And 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 that's the hardest part to to see because the rest of the battle she's winning. But so when you're fighting cancer like that, and 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 you won half of the battle already because the mass is gone, you know it, it it's encouraging. It's like you know you, at least you're not fighting for nothing, you know. And then and, and the technology today is so advanced. You know, it's like because they have these uh, protocols that they have for cancer to, to, to take care of cancer. But but they explain to us that there's over a thousand different protocols, a thousand different cancers that you could have. Some some are genetic, uh, generic, some are there's a thousand of them. So so but they're so advanced now that they just they hit her right on the nose, man. They got they got the what she needed and the chemo she needed, and now she's responding tremendously. So so we're very very uh, encouraged with that. And, but thank you for the thoughts and and I appreciate that very much. Oh yeah, she'll be in my thoughts and prayers one hundred percent. Because uh, put another tattoo on you. I I will. <laughs> I've got I've I've got three ribbons on me already, and and two of them cover my whole side of my body. So I got no problem. I don't have one tattoo on me, and she wants me. To, <laughs> she wants me to put a tattoo on me, but she wants me to put a wedding ring. You know, she wants me to put a tattoo, a wedding ring, and I said, "Hell no, I ain't gonna cut my finger off." What if we get divorced? I'll have to cut my finger off. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm I'm very happy that you, uh, the both of you, are are in good spirits with uh, with that and. I I'll I hope and pray for the best uh, when it it's comes going to good. that. Thank you, thank you. It's oh, going you're, good. You're, you're very welcome. And and speaking things that are going very well, uh, Jacques, you've made it to round two in the total new <laughs> network. Fans TKN was created by Avi Klein, a good friend of mine, who uh, has created a Saturday night tournament that you can watch on Facebook. And uh, also his website, thetotalnewnetwork.com. Tons of podcasts with celebrities, uh, athletes, actors, actresses. I'm I'm, I'm talking WWE Hall of Famers, uh, current athletes, athletes that are in other Hall of Fames like the NBA, NFL, Emmy Award winners. Lou Ferrigno, Nancy Kerrigan. You're talking about all kinds of people that it's amazing contests. AEW's Mark Henry is currently part of it. AEW's Rob Van Dam is currently part of this thing. It's it, this is a huge, huge. <laughs> this is a huge tournament. Jacques, how did you get uh, involved with the tournament and Avi and everything? I was just so blessed and so amazed that 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 he reached out to me, and then he asked me to be part of it. I'm I'm just so happy. And then at the beginning, it was like, oh. I don't know about that. The next thing you know is when I first participated, the first segment there, when I, I did his uh, first appearance, I, 
I really enjoyed the show. Like, you know, I said, Hey, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, to get to know the people I was on there with, you know, like, uh, like you said, superstar hall of famers and basketball and different people. And you get to know people on a different angle. And then one good after I, I don't, I can't believe it. I went to, I won for the second round. I'm going to the second round. And then in between that, he calls me up one night and he says, I have, he says, Jacques, how would you like to be a judge? And I said, really? I said, are you in trouble? You know, you must be missing, <laughs> you know? And, they, and he said, no, no. He said, Jacques, you got a good perspective on things and then, and you're a good hearted person. Let, let, come on out there. So, so I was judge and I enjoyed it so much. And, and, uh, and, and actually this Saturday coming up, I'm judge again for the second time. He asked me to be a judge. I love it. And it's like, I just opened my heart to them. I listened to them. And, and it's like almost like in Wrestling Academy. It's like, you know, I, you're as good as your last performance, you know. So <laughs> so they go out there and they and, and I like to, and whoever seduces me the most with their answers and then I, I vote for them. It's an amazing contest. What's amazing about this thing is that you get to know people from 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 not seeing them on the screen. Like, you know, like on their, in the roles of life of movies and stuff like that, you get to see him as a person and, you know, and I'm a big Mark, I'm a big fan. Like, you know, so, so, so I have a, I'm, I'm supposed to be judge. Uh, uh, I don't even know who's there on this Saturday, but I, I asked him, I said, please, I want to be judged for Sugar Ray Leonard because he's going to be part of this. And, and Sugar Ray Leonard for me, is like, oh my God, is like a God for me. Him and Duran is fighting Montreal, no mass, no mass, you know, and then it, it happened. That, so, so I get a chance to meet all these superstars, these celebrities that when I was young, I used to worship them, you know, and, and, and now I get to talk with them and now I get to judge them. Holy mackerel. It's like, yeah. hey, they, they're looking at me like they, they're, they're probably thinking with a show like, oh, please, Jacques, please, Jacques. You know, and I'm going like, wow, <laughs> to have this power in my hands, you know, and the, those are my heroes. You know, it's a it's an amazing show what AV put together, Avi. Amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool show, fans, and you can check that out Saturdays. It's the green room, big tournament. As we said, all sorts of athletes and celebrities are part of this. Uh, you can check that out Saturday, 8 p.m., facebook.com slash Avi Klein. Uh, uh, outside of wrestling, you know, you've, you're being a judge in this contest. But outside of wrestling, you were judged in The Masked Singer for Canada, season two. <laughs> as, Funny, huh? Uh, Hamarda, the, the Sharif, uh, lobster, yeah, lobster, the Sharif. The lobster, the Sharif. Yes. Yeah, that, what uh, an experience. What an experience. The masked singer, holy mackerel, when they called me, you know, they hit the, but they hit, you know, right on the ball because I love singing. Ever since I was young, I loved music. And they didn't know that. They just told me because I'm popular in Quebec. And then they decided, oh, we'll get this guy here. But I went to, we started, we were 20 costumes when we started. And I went all the way to the eighth one. And then, so so I did I did four songs. I sang Jailhouse Rock. You should have seen that. That was amazing. And then Old Town Road. I'm going to take my horse to the old town. And then, I, you know, I, and then John Denver, Take Me Home, Country Roads. And, and, and you know, but I had a great time. And 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 the funniest thing about the mass tenure that a lot of things that people don't know. The first thing is when you go on stage with that big old helmet you have on there, the big lobster head that I had, you don't see nothing. You it's almost like you're like this, and the only thing you see is like the ceiling and half of the ceiling. So you got when you come out on stage, you got to judge your path by the lights and the roof. 
and stuff you got that's how you got to cue yourself and you got to make sure that you don't trip over the dancing girls you know I had a lot of girls girls dancing around me <laughs> and uh, but but what an amazing amazing experience that was that was awesome now did they let you pick what you wanted to sing or did they have like a set list for you they 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 obligated me for one song that I didn't like, but they let me pick three, you know? Okay. So, so, so that was fun, you know, but there was one song they wanted me to do in French and, you know, I'm a French Canadian, you know, so, so, and it's a French show here in Quebec. So, so they wanted me to sing French, but I don't want to sing French. I, I was brought up in the States. I was brought up on the road. I, I liked, you know, the music that I, the English music, you know, so it comes more naturally to me. So, so they let me do three English songs and one French song, but, uh, but it was fun, you know, after I got to learn it. And the funniest part was because of my culture that I've been brought up on the road on my life you know starting in 77 i was on the road in calgary and then mexico and then all these territories i lived in the states i didn't know the french culture and the music so when they brought up that song that i was supposed to sing in french that everybody on the planet knows in french in quebec i didn't know it, <laughs> I didn't know it. so they so they looked at me and said you don't know helen i said no i don't know helen so i had to learn it from the start i had to learn it so i must have sang it about a hundred times during the day, like, you know, for about a week, two weeks to try and remember and the notes and this and that. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, the other songs came easy though. Like, you know, Old Town Road, Jailhouse yeah. Rock and all those songs, they came really easy and that was fun. So I could get more into it. It was, uh, it, it was fun. It was a great experience. Well, that is awesome. I, uh, I've checked out clips and watched it. <laughs> <laughs> good singer by the way good singer oh, thank you well they, they they help they help you you know they help you in other words the way it works is you uh you go in the studio you record the song and they help you with a little bit of uh mm -hmm. a little bit of uh machines there you know but, yeah, but yeah, you, have yeah. to, you have to you have to be a good singer to be honest but they there's a couple of notes that i'm that they make you look good there you know it's like yeah. so so and when you come out live the only thing you got to worry about is the dance and the steps because it's not you singing in the mask when you sing on stage. It's the recording that you have. So in other words, it's you 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 don't have to worry about singing live. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like the breeze. Country road, take me home. You know, so so okay. so, so. So, so, so it makes it a little easier. So, you know, okay. but, uh, but, it, but it's still fun, you know, and everybody that meet me, it's so funny because everybody that meet me, they say, is that really you singing on stage? Say, sure it is. Sure it is. You've done some things that um, other wrestlers have not done. And I am talking about, Pinning Hulk Hogan, okay? So uh, at the time, uh, I know you know where I'm going. This uh, You're in WCW. Uh, you have a show in Canada. A lot of WC ta WCW talent are booked on the show. You you were part, you booked the show. You were part of the show. Um, NWO was huge at the time, 96, 97. Um, and Hogan, as we know, is massively over in Canada. If I'm not mistaken, you're the only Canadian to actually pin Hulk Hogan clean without like any sort of interference. And if if it was going to be somebody prior, um, it would have been Bret Hart 
in the 94 Survivor SummerSlam when he beat Yokozuna, but we all know what the story was. Hogan didn't want to go over Brett. He didn't want to put Brett over. So Brett beats Yoko. Hogan comes in. Hogan beats Yoko. Hogan's the champion again. How, what was this whole experience like? Again, the first Canadian to pin Hogan clean. Also during his first and seemingly only heel run. And and again, he's massively over in Canada. He's the biggest heel in the United States and probably all over the world, you know, during this time, because no one saw the greatest baby face in professional wrestling history turn. It was amazing. We, uh, it was so I got so many things. I hear you talk. Uh, I want to jump in every second there, but, uh, I'm sorry. but just, no, no, no. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the, one of the most iconic moments of my career, you know, to be Hulk Hogan is who would have dreamed, who would have dreamed of something like that. And, uh, and, but, but the, the, the thing is, is, uh, uh, I was, I was the one who opened the doors for WCW in Montreal with cookie Lazarus, a lawyer, because Vince had the, uh, the exclusivity in Montreal in the building, but uh, I wasn't at war. I've been at war for 30 years with Vince now. And, and, and because of what had happened between me and him, I had a grudge and I held it really strong. So I, I decided to work with WCW and open the doors for them. And, and eventually they were laughing at me, WWF, because they were saying, no, we have exclusivity. And I went with my lawyer to tell him like, Hey, you can't keep a French Canadian out of a French building for an American. That's the the droit de la charte de la liberté du Québec. That's the rights of the the, the charts of the liberty of Quebec. You can't do that. So they, to, to their surprise, I took away their exclusivity. I brought in the, the, the WCW, and 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 then and then. But the the thing I asked in return is I wanted to work with Hulk, but I never expected to go over. I never did. I just wanted to work with him. And 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 to answer your question, that Hulk was over all around the states and the world. He was over much more than I was here in my hometown. And I I found that out the hard way because uh, Hulk <laughs> was the heel and I was the babyface. And it was amazing because when I came out with the Canadian and the Quebec flag into the building, I got booed. 99% of the people and I'm in my hometown. I that blew my mind. You know, I've been in the business for years and years and years. I call the shots usually I'm smart and this one just flew over my head. I didn't expect I didn't expect that. So I, I kind of went crazy when I got in the ring. I said, oh, I kept playing babyface and being the good guy, but inside I was dying. And when Hulk came out NWO and it was like just it was the biggest sound I've ever heard. And they, they were all cheering for him. So so I had to work that match and I had to work it, keep working babyface. And he kept healing. He kept healing. Finally, at the end of the match, I got back about 70 percent back of the people that finally were cheering for me. 70 percent. But at the beginning and during the match, it was only one person that was cheering me out of, I think, uh, 18,000 people. And, and it was an autistic that was by the ring that really would die for me. And it was the only one cheering for me during the match. Everybody else was booing me. I was looking at my friends and they were going like, no, I was going like what's going on? And it was so amazing in the dressing room too when it happened because at the beginning, uh, I, I, I booked that show and I, uh, Flair was on there, Harlem Heat, Dean Malenko, uh, uh, the, uh, 
there was a bunch of guys. I can't remember them all. Uh, Mongo McMichael was there. Uh, um, what was that other guy too? The anyway, a lot of big stars from WCW. I, I asked to have that card, and then they gave it to me. And um, so they're all in the dressing room, and we're all sitting there. And out of nowhere, just minding my own business, Hulk goes in front of all the boys, and he says, uh, "So, boss, what are we doing tonight?" <laughs> so he says that in front of everybody, and I started laughing so hard, like you know, I thought it was the funniest joke, you know. What? A, how embarrassing, you know, for him to say that, like you know, and uh, and, uh, and and he's real serious. He's looking at me. So after I finished laughing, and everybody was laughing too, the boys were laughing too. He says. So he says, what are we doing tonight? He says, how are you beating me? And then if, and, and, and for me, I, I just kept laughing and everybody would, then there was this look on everybody's face, like, like Hulk seems serious. And then he said to me, he says, hey, I'm not kidding. He says, it's your show tonight. He says, you're going over. He says, how do you want to do it? I said, well, <laughs> I was embarrassed. <laughs> I was embarrassed. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to answer. And then I said, okay. I said, and he kept persisting. And I said, okay. I said, well, how about if I just small package? You beat me up so bad. And at the end, I just catch you with a small package. You know, and uh, he said, let's do that. And and and, uh, and and there was a lot of times I ask myself, you know, um, why did he do that? Uh and just between you and I and, and the millions of people watching right now, <laughs> I, I think that he had a little cold front with Bischoff. There was a power trip with Bischoff at the time. Like, who was the real boss? I think there has a few conflicts in this. I think that's only hearsay. And and the, the two things that come back to me also is like that he told me, Hulk, because he had such respect for the Rougeau family. In, in in Montreal, that was one thing that that, that 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 I could appreciate so much, you know, for him doing that because he's a he's a kind man. If you get to know him personally, he's a kind man. He's a good friend of mine today. And the the other reason why I think he did it, I was just coming out of that thing a couple of years before that where I stood up for myself in the bullying situation with with Dynamite, mm -hmm. and, and I know he had a lot of friends that were bullied. And I also think personally, I honestly, this is only me thinking. Hulk was never a target for the Bulldogs because Hulk was Hulk. He was the God. But I think inside that Hulk may have been a little afraid that he'd become a target one day. And I think that because eventually, you know, when the ego of some guy gets bigger and bigger and bigger, he, who knows till where it's going to end, you know? So when I put a stop to it, when I put a stop to the bullying for a while in the WWF, I think Hulk... And he knew Hulk knew I wasn't a fighter. So he knew he probably respected all the pain that I lived and all this, the fright, you know, being afraid and everything that I lived to, to manage to do that. I, I think that's, I honestly think that's one of the reasons why he decided to put me over. It was almost like a personal gift. And, you know, over the years, I went to see him at his gift shop in Orlando, and I went to sing karaoke in his in Clearwater at his bar there, which is amazing. If you go to Florida, you gotta stop by his karaoke. He's giving out the Hulk belts, you know. For the, <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's amazing. People are having so much fun, and they're living Hulk over all over again, but it's for singing, you know. But uh, but Hulk is a, a great great person, and uh, I have so much respect, and and it changed so many things um, in the eyes of the. The true fans of the Rougeau family and and, and 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 some of many fans that you know that my notoriety just went much too high. I don't deserve it, but but now that I got it, you know, I, I 
I'm happy that, 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 and people, it's funny, I do radio stations, I still do newspapers, everything I go, and, and when I do podcasts, I always say, hey, don't forget, I'm the only Canadian to be Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like, it's, 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 uh, I brag about it, you know, but in a good way, like, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing that I had that opportunity. Yeah, uh, completely tremendous. Um I, I do have to ask because uh, I remember uh, Pierre Carl Lulay, PCO, uh, wrestled the giant on that show, eye patch for eye patch match, and Carl won, and you won your match. If it was a power struggle with Bischoff and Hogan, do you think Bischoff took it out on you because your next match in WCW was against <laughs> the NWO? It was the giant and Lex Luger, and it was seemingly. <laughs> It was like a three-minute match, and they won. Yeah. I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something amazing. When we came back from that match, <laughs> I know Bishop wasn't happy because <laughs> when he put that match together, he put the, the giant with us and me and Carl, and it's so funny because he, he, he put us together, and he says, okay, he says, uh, uh, I want you to uh, take Jacques, and I want you to uh, – to the, over the top rope uh, to the giant. He said, I want you to throw him onto the table in the bottom. Now, Carl is the guy who takes tables. You know, he's a young pup here. He's the guy who's used to that. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not yeah. that kind of style of wrestling. And 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 when Bischoff told me, he says, uh, uh, you're going to take Jacques, you're going to bring him through the table over the top rope. I looked at Bischoff, I said, no. No, he's not going to do that. And then, and then I said, and Carl says, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then he was like, uh, and so I stood up to, to Bischoff right then. It's like, you know, so yes, to answer that, I never liked that guy. I met him at a Comic-Con. I was very polite with him. You know, I said hello to him and all that stuff. But I, I didn't like the way he used us. I didn't like the way he, he he actually put us on a contract for WCW. It was embarrassing. I was working once every three weeks. And when I was working once every three weeks, I got paid for a whole year doing nothing, absolutely nothing. He didn't use us. And I think it was more for the deal of him coming into Montreal and opening Montreal that, that, that I think that that's why I got my job there, to be honest with you. But I know for a fact that what you're saying, you you hit the nail right on the head there. But uh, he was so mad that I beat Hogan in Montreal, especially when he was on top of the NWO. He was like, and then he comes to Montreal and he gets beat by Jacques Rougeau and with internet and everything. And and I got around so fast that I beat Hulk Hogan, you know, that. Uh, so, 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 yeah, that was uh that, then you'd have to ask Halt that one day, you know, really. You'd have to sit down and ask him how that happened, you know. And I'd be curious if one day somebody asks Hulk, you know, the, and, and you would have an open heart uh, conversation with him. Why did that to me? Why why, why did it did me that favor? And, and uh, I, I'd, I'd like to know one time from his heart, you know, that the... the, the but but you know and if it's uh, and if it's for out of respect for the Rougeau family and for me standing up for myself in the business then I I want to hear about it but if it's anything else I I don't care to hear about it to be honest well I've got uh, a great quote from Hulk Hogan here in a minute that I'm going to get to but I want to ask first about uh, what were your thoughts about going back to WWF during the Attitude Era in '98. What was it like to be part of the Attitude Era? But there's one match in particular I'm going to ask about. But first, I'll let you answer the first question. I think we were at war with Vince already. You know, like uh, the, the 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 downfall had started, and uh, since I'd left him, and uh, I, I I gave him my notice 
after the men on a mission match where we were supposed to beat him at WrestleMania 10 with our finish in the middle. And he changed his mind one hour before the match. So that was the beginning of the end for us. And and after I brought WCW to Montreal, uh, that, and I think it was just, I think uh, we had a, such a short run that it was just to get us back to, uh, to it was personal vengeance from Vince to have the last word. Uh, so, uh, so to be honest with you, it wasn't, it wasn't fun at all. It, uh, we were, uh, <clears throat> we were misused. We, uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to do your job when you're, you're in storylines and when you're in good positions, but when you, you've been to the top and you've had so much success and then you come back in a, in a, a jabroni position or a jobber position, then, and it's, uh, it, it's not fun. And, uh, so, uh, Go ahead, ask your question. I know it's going to hurt my feelings, but go ahead. I, we're here. Oh no, that. this actually this actually isn't going to hurt your feelings at all. Um, I had found you had a dark match uh, as coming back as the Quebecers in '98. Uh, I was with your brother Ray and the Quebecers taking on Edge, Tom Brandy, and Sean Stasiak. At any point, was there a possibility of your brother Ray coming out of retirement, working the dark match with you? I don't remember that. Okay. Um, I remember that. Yeah, it was it was one so dark. So Raymond match. teamed up with me and Carl. Yes, it was you, uh, your brother. It was your brother Ray, Carl, and yourself <laughs> taking on uh, Edge, but he was going by Adam Copeland, his his real name, Tom really? Brand, and Sean Stasiak in 1998. It's it funny because was... Adam Copeland. Now I met him at the uh, at AEW in Montreal and. We're good friends. It's funny. He yeah. has so much respect for me. He had so much respect for me when, it, you know, he was the, the main event in Montreal. And I was like, I was happy just to shake his hand. And then he came up to me and says, Hey, how you doing, Jacques? And then he was so nice to me. I went, Holy mackerel. <laughs> it was, it was almost like, you know, holy mackerel. Like, you know, but uh, 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 another thing that was fun too is I just come off the Chris Jericho cruise. You know, uh, Chris Jericho had invited me on the cruise and, uh, and seen Paul White there. You know, and seen the uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan. You know, and we had so much good talks, and, and and it was so fun. And Paul White is so nice. You know, Jesus Christ, he was so nice to me. And uh, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's funny how uh, I grew older, you know, and uh, and I matured a lot over the years. And uh, but I I I I I noticed that there's a lot of people that do like me, and then and, and they, contrary to a lot of people that don't like me, <laughs> there's a, for for reasons that are okay. You know, I could always defend myself, but the uh, the real ones, the ones that weren't jealous, the ones that weren't uh, uh, two face, or that weren't uh, working close close to Vince, or that were like their gophers, or their uh, uh, the, those people that they, they, I get along great with. You know, and if you go on my website, uh, uh, wrestling-academy.ca with my contest, Wrestling Academy, you'll see, like you said before, go see the guys that are giving me a hand just to, to vouch for me. You know, all those guys, are, when I meet them in Comic-Cons, they're really nice to me. You know, so, so, yeah. I, so, so, so uh, I, 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 anyway, it's nice to see those guys and uh, and to see that they appreciate me like that. I uh, I always uh, lacked of confidence uh and uh insecurity i always was that kind of guy and um so it's nice to see that uh, hey it's it's not that bad you know there's only a, a couple of fruits there in the basket that don't like me but the, the most of the guys they like me so that's that's nice i think i'm going to bring up one of the fruits in the basket please do that that please don't do. like you um and this is jim cornette 
I've I've listened to some of his stuff about you, and it's a very passive aggressive. It's I'll compliment the man, but then he follows with something not so nice. One of the comments on his shows, this is a direct quote, French Canadians have a natural air about them or a manner about them or a manner of speaking that is natural to them that just irritates the fuck out of people and then refers to you as a French Canadian prick. Okay. Uh, I have something to, to, to say about Jim Cornette, if you don't mind me saying. Uh, the floor is yours. The saddest thing I feel um about Jim Cornette, the saddest thing is uh he must not be happy inside. He must not be a happy person because every time I met Jim Cornette in person, every time it was always, Hey Jacques, how you doing, Jacques? How you doing, my friend? How you doing, my friend? And and and, and I never argued with him once in my life. I I, I never had a a hard, harsh word with him. Never did. He was always very nice to me. And and then over the years, as I turned my back on Vince and then had my feud with Vince, I I started hearing things. And 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 like you said, you're not the first one who brings it to me. And I'm saying to myself, you know, there's something you'll learn about me today, Lee. Uh, I'm going to explain this to the best of my capacity. Normal people are here, and autistic people are here. I must be somewhere in between there. And and I always had a hard time understanding things when I was younger in life. I always took things so seriously. I never was a diplomat. I, if I hated somebody, I'd let them know. If I liked somebody, I'd let them know. If I There was no gray zone in my life. I never was the type of guy, never once in my life, that would look at someone and say, hey, how you doing, man? And then when he turned around, I'd say, oh, this guy's... I, I never was that kind of person. I never was. And and, and I never understood people that do that. And, and uh, now today, I know that Jim Cornette is one of them. I know that if I met Jim Cornette somewhere someday, he'd look at me and say, hey, Jacques, how you doing? <laughs> he'd do that again. So I feel sad for the person. I really do. But I know he was close to Vince. I know he was Vince's stooge and Vince's gopher. So so when I turned my back on Vince, a lot of the people, a lot of people that were close to Vince, like even I heard Bruce Pritchard say some things about me, that, that, that I was so sad because Bruce Pritchard, every time I met him in person, it was a hug. And, you know, and it was this. I never had, I never had a bad word with Bruce Pritchard. Never did. I, and so many times, the brother love, I had so much fun with him. You know, I thought his gimmick was so good, and I had fun with the guy. And then I started hearing things over the years. People that were close, close to Vince and some others that, that would say things about me, but with no foundation. Because we never had so, so, so to them. I feel sorry for them. Because I never did nothing to them personally. If I was arrogant, maybe I was a little arrogant. I remind myself of Shawn Michaels a little bit at sometimes. You know, we were good at what we did. We we kind of sometimes made it easy, sounded easy, you know, like a, and I was young, you know, I was I was I was young. I matured over the years. I just want these guys to know I matured a bit. And you know, I, I never badmouth anybody and I, I never talk behind nobody's back. And sometimes, you know, I, I I'm I missed some opportunities to shut up. <laughs> you know, I, I admit it. 
<laughs> not perfect. And I also admit that my brother Raymond, he's the brain of both of us because Raymond was so light. Raymond, everybody, everybody talks about Raymond so nicely. But Raymond, he was discreet. He would talk to me about things that he would never talk to other people. Me, that was my problem. If I had something on my mind, I'd let you know. If there was good or bad, I'd let you know. You know, there was no gray zone with me. And and, and the other thing, too, is um, I'll give you an example where I picked up some heat a lot when I was younger. Um, the guys would be booked like uh, 25 days a month on the road. And uh, it was a serious area, an era where steroids, where drugs, where, where uppers, downers, pills, and everything, they were in their bags. And and, and sometimes we'd get the booking, we'd be sitting in the dressing room, and, and the guys would say, uh, okay, San Diego Monday, uh, San Francisco Tuesday, Los Angeles, that's a great tour there. And then, whoop, Winnipeg and Montreal. And and then they out loud in the dressing room, they'd say something like, oh, we got to go to goddamn Canada again. You know, and, and, and uh, we're going to freaking Montreal again. And I'd look at them like, hey, you know, that's my home, you know, freaking United States too, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's like, you know, I don't give a shit about the States as much as you don't give a shit about Canada. It was just, I, and it was just going back on them, putting me down, my country down or my, my home down. I, I'd do the same thing to them because I love the States. I always did. But I mean, it was just like, it was spontaneous. Like, you know, I hey, don't cut my, don't cut me down. And I replied where Raymond never said a word. Raymond was quiet. He was smart, Raymond. And I was, I missed a little bit of the, but, but I understand the guys now today. And, and I didn't understand it then that when they'd come to Canada, they couldn't cross their drugs. They couldn't bring their steroids. They were losing 40% on the dollar. They'd come and work here and their dollar was worth 60 cents here in Canada because they had to. So there was a lot of reasons why they were pissed off because when you're on drugs and when you're on pills and this and you can't bring them across the border, you got to leave them somewhere. And you got to come into this country where they don't, you may not have the contacts with the doctors or whoever to get the stuff, you know? So, so whatever reasons it was, they didn't like to come to Canada. A lot of the guys didn't like to come on tour. And me, I always took it personally. Another time, I'll give you another example, just like that. Um, Pat Patterson comes to see me one time in a dressing room and he says to me, he says, uh, I was speaking with Raymond and Rick Martel. We're speaking French in the dressing room. So he comes up to me, he says, Hey, les gars, So, hey guys, do you mind? He says, well, do you mind speaking English a bit? And I looked at Pat, what are you talking about? He says, well, he says, some guys, you know, they think you're talking about them when you're speaking in French. I said, well, why don't you go tell Tito Santana and Pedro Morales to stop speaking Spanish then, you know? Why why, why are we allowed? This is our native. We're speaking between friends and family here in French. And, he, and one of the guys went to him and stooged and told him that he didn't want to hear it, you know? So it was like, when I found out when that guy was, I just, I turned around for all the boys and I told them, I said, if you weren't such an insecure, no good, <laughs> you know, this and that, you wouldn't think that we weren't talking about you you're not that important you know we're just talking <laughs> about native language and, and and so so i i, I lack sometimes of being diplomat and, and you know so i think i i i got some heat for that and my little arrogance that i had but i was never mean to anybody i was always had great conversations that people wanted to talk to me i was a guy who liked to laugh who liked to have fun 
who like to, to, to joke around a lot. And a lot of the guys, sometimes they had problems with their family at home or different things, problems. I was joking around like a young kid that was having fun. And sometimes you could get on people's nerves, you know? So, so I'm guilty of that. I, I'm guilty of all that. But one thing I'm not guilty of, and I'll always stand by, is if I shook a guy's hand, and I gave a smile to him and I liked him and I said, hey, how you doing, my friend? When he turned around, I would never stab him in the back. And and, and that's a message I'm sending to you, uh, Jim Cornette, and to Bruce Pritchard, that uh, you fooled me because I always thought you guys liked me. Well, I will say this. Um, in defense of Bruce Pritchard, he, in another episode, was asked uh, about the Hall of Fame and he 100% believes that the Mountie should be in the Hall of Fame. And I want to end on a good note, Jacques. I want to end on a high note. And I'm going to read a quote from your friend, WWE Hall of Famer, Hulk Hogan. You know, Maniacs, I was watching the WWE the other night, and I was real curious who the first inductee to the 2023 Hall of Fame was. Oh my gosh, it's Rey Mysterio. No one is more deserving, deserving a champion, a great man, a great father, and a great husband. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. For years and years and years, he's carried the torch. But when I thought, you know, who could be next? Who could be just as deserving? And then my first thought was one of the greatest tag teams of all time, the Rougeau brothers. Jacques Rougeau, brother, and his brother, Raymond Rougeau, the two guys that need to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm voting for them. Hopefully, they'll be the next inductees into the Hall of Fame, man. Man, I just think it might happen. I got a real good feeling about that one, brother. Now, that quote was 2023. Uh, your brother, Raymond, recently just did an interview where um, he believes that you guys can be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and in his quotes, uh, I always had a great relationship with Vince. Uh, they always do that at WrestleMania. If WrestleMania was to be held in Montreal, we'd be in. If you notice where they have WrestleMania, the Hall of Fame will have a certain local flavor to the Hall of Fame induction. They would have to come to Montreal, I think, for it to happen for us. Now, your brother thinks you'll be in the Hall of Fame, but believes and feels Montreal is the best place for that to happen. Last year, Hulk Hogan advocated for you guys. Uh, Bruce Pritchard had even said, as you as the Mountie should be in the Hall of Fame. I got to ask. I know you. I I know in your heart and soul you would absolutely love to be in the Hall of Fame. Would you like it as the Rougeau brothers, the Mountie, or a question that I like to ask? Do you think WWE should have a family wing section to the Hall of Fame? It's very easy for me to answer uh, because the people don't know my uncle Johnny. And my father, uh, Jacques, and my granduncle, Eddie Auger. I would have to go with the Rougeau brothers. I think because Raymond and I, we've proved ourselves around the world. 
And uh, if I manage to become the Mountie later on in the Quebecers after, it's because I made my first appearance with Raymond, my brother. And I think that the the Rougeau name should be in the Hall of Fame, like the, like the my God, the Grahams, the Funks, and the, all the great families of wrestling. They should be in there because you could have the biggest house in the world, but if you don't have a great foundation, your house is going to crumble. And I think we're part of the foundation of wrestling, the Rougeau family. And I think that uh, Raymond and I would be a great treat, a great uh, respect, a sign of respect. And then, and the funniest thing is I, I'm thinking of what you just said. I never looked at it that way, that uh, I've been at war with Vince for 30 years. Now karma's taking care of things. But, uh, but uh, my brother Raymond, he was loyal all his life to Vince, you know, and, and, and everything that he gave, the miles, the, the sweat, the, 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 the commentating, the, the, everything he gave. And, and, and the fans that when we go in Comic-Cons, we have lines that are huge that people come to see us. And they all tell us, like, when are you guys going to be in the Hall of Fame? When are you going to be in the Hall of Fame? So, so I think that uh, now that he's gone, I think you're saying that Triple H is in charge. I think Monsieur Levaque, because he has a French name there. I think Monsieur Levaque, you should uh, get down to business there and show respect not to the Rougeau family, but to the French Canadian fans, because they certainly think that we deserve to be in there. One hundred percent, and I would love to see the Rougeau brothers, and I would also personally like to see WWE do a family wing, because there's a lot of wrestling families in professional wrestling that have, you know, it, it's, it's different if as an individual puts all their time and effort into that career, but you have generations of families, the Rhodes, the Anawahis, the Rougeaus, uh, where families have dedicated their lives to this industry. And I think it'd be a good way to pay back to the families is to have a hall of fame, uh, family wing section and the Rougeaus, also, so I'm gonna so I'm gonna start voting right now for for Lee for president of the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I just look back and I I think multiple family members in your family were involved in professional wrestling. Same of the Road, same of the Anawahis, uh, the Stasiaks. A lot of name, you know. I just the Bristos, listed off, the, the, Funks, the Von Erics. Yes, Von Erics. There's, there's so many, eh? There's so many that um, the Fullers, the Fullers, a hey, uh, Welch's, uh, Robert Fuller, Ron Fuller, and their father, you know, uh, Mr. Welch. I can't remember his first name there, but he was the first one. And, uh, you know, those are great families of Tennessee and uh, and Florida. And uh, they made their mark as wrestlers, as promoters, you know, as Southeastern wrestling. And uh, they, they've contributed so much as wrestling. So, so yeah, I think that uh, I think something should be done. And uh, but eventually, you know, I think the most important thing out of all this is we know there's a lot of politics involved. That's the, the like you said, sometimes Hall of Famers are, are inducted before the use of the company or for whatever. But the most important thing of all this is when I meet my fans in Comic Cons and I go see, I, I, I see in their eyes that I'm already inducted. And I think that's the most important thing for me. That that's incredible, Jacques. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to speak with me today. I had 
a fantastic time. And I would already like to invite you back on to come back on at a future date. Um, I don't have anything else to say. So <laughs> <laughs> I would, I, you know, um, anything you would like to plug from Lutz Academy um, to any social media, anything you, you know, upcoming projects, please take this time and, and promote everything away. The most important thing right now in my life is uh, wrestling-academy.ca to, to be able to help Canadian talent to get exposed in the world of wrestling and give them a chance to, to have a career like I had. So so check out wrestling-academy.ca and then follow it. And our shows are filmed on YouTube. So you could go check the last seasons if you go there. And you'll see it's a lot of amateur stuff put together because we're not Vince McMahon production. But you'll see the most important thing is the content is great not the production but the content and then and, you know so have fun and if you're a wrestling fan i think you'll enjoy it tremendously and watch the season this year and, and lee thank you so much and it's uh, uh, you know i was nervous before the show I'm, I'm glad the way it happened and then you you treated me so kindly i thank you so much and and congratulations on you being the number one show and then in wrestling all over the world and it's amazing i'm just so privileged to have the chance to give exposure to my my wrestling academy and my talent that are dreaming one day to be in the big leagues. Uh, n trust me, the pleasure is all mine. Fans, I will have all the links uh, in the descriptions to all the videos uh, for you to visit uh, all of Jacques' uh, websites from Loot Academy to Wrestling Academy. Uh, you, you'll be able to check them all out in the links in the description. Uh, Jacques, thank you for coming on today. Fans, remember, spoiler freeze, the way to be. We're out.